Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Today's message is Fishing Buddies. Now, here's Bill Almack. This is our last message in our series, Go Fish. And if you remember on week one, we saw that Jesus was calling some people and he had an agenda for them. He wanted them to be fishermen. Not better people, not better parents, not better tithers or whatever. But he wanted them to be fishers of men. And um, he has the same agenda for us. And, you know, those first guys really weren't all that interested in being fishers of men. They probably didn't know what that meant, probably confused them. But, um, and, and we sometimes aren't real interested in being fishers either. I mean, we started following Jesus for really selfish reasons for most of us. It was because Jesus was doing something for us. He helped us with something we needed help with, an addiction, a marriage, a relationship, a job, whatever. And we started following Jesus for kind of selfish reasons. And those first disciples, the same thing. I mean, they followed Jesus because they saw the miracle he had done when he provided all the, the fish for them. And Jesus, though, he says, man, I've got an agenda for you. And I want to empower, equip, I want to enable, whatever words you want to use, uh, for you to talk about Jesus. And that's pretty scary for us sometimes. It's hard. See, we, we can talk about God. It's okay to talk about a generic God, a creator, you know, a powerful force in the universe. We're okay with that. When it comes time to talk about Jesus, that gets a little scary. Sometimes we don't know what to say about it. But if we read the rest of the story, we can see that sure enough, those disciples did become fishers of men. And they told people who told people who told people who told people. And 2,000 years later, here we are. Because people won't quit talking about Jesus. They're fishing. Now, the reason we have to do this is because the Christian message is not intuitive. Right? You can't figure it out on your own. You can't sit down at a blackboard and write out the proof for what it means to be a Christian. It's based on an event in history. And the only way you know about what happens in history is somebody tells you. They write it down in a book. They tell you whatever. But you have to be told about events that happened. And so that's kind of where we are this week. And hopefully, uh, you guys remember last week we talked about the addition to the prayer we, we maybe wanted you to make, right? You guys remember this? Right? To speak boldly for the name of Jesus. I hope you, you prayed that prayer or at least wrestled with praying that prayer. That's, I mean, it takes courage to pray that prayer. Cause I think, you know, God would answer that prayer and now you've got to talk about Jesus, right? So, um, it, it takes, it takes courage to do that. But I hope you considered that. Um, because, you know, we've tried to talk about Jesus on our own sometimes and it doesn't go very well. Right? Because we feel guilty because the pastor or whoever's up here has been talking about you got to tell other people. you got to go do this. And you're like, all right, great commission. Here we go. And, and, and you're scared. And it's hard, right? 
And then maybe one day you, you get up enough nerve to do it. You know, and you start telling your friend, well, you know, Jesus created everything in seven days, and then there was a flood, and he killed everybody. And then Joseph went to Egypt, you know, and there's a Joseph in the New Testament, too. Hey, did you know there's three Johns? And Revelation has all these beasts and horsemen in it and stuff, and Jesus died for you. What do you think? I think you're confused, man. I mean, what are you talking about, right? And it just goes badly. And, and we don't know what to do with it, right? And we get so freaked out. But one thing that we should know is that fishing was never meant to be a solo operation. You're supposed to have a buddy. Go fishing together. Now, occasionally you do it by yourself, and that's okay, but uh, we should have fishing buddies. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 16, uh, your Bibles, your devices. Uh, Matthew, as you know, is the first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 16. And uh, we're going to look at a little story that happened here. And, you know, Matthew, as you know, was written by Matthew. And do you remember what Matthew's job was? Tax collector. He worked for the IRS. Except it was worse than that because he collected taxes and it went to the Romans. It didn't even go to his, his own country, right? I mean, that's like if Canada invaded and we had to pay taxes to Canada, right? I mean, it's bad enough to pay taxes. I certainly don't want to give it to Canada, right? Nothing against Canada, but they can do their own, right? So, if God will use Matthew to write a book in the Bible, and he worked for the IRS, God can use you. That should be encouragement for us all, right? Okay. So, Matthew chapter 16, let's look at verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? I want you to try this this week with your friends. When you go out to work, maybe at lunchtime or maybe dinner time with your friends, everybody sit down at the table and say, Hey, who does everybody say I am? What's the word on the street about me? We're going to start over here with you, John, and we'll go around the table. Tell me, what's everybody saying about you, about me? What are they going to do? Look at you like you're weird, right? I got news for you, man. Ain't nobody talking about you. The only person talking about you is you. There's no word on the street about you. Right? But Jesus is not neutral. And just like today, you either kind of love him or hate him. The same thing was true back then. And people had an opinion about Jesus. So look and see what they say. Verse 14. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. John the Baptist? Jesus and John were alive at the same time. So how does John die and come back? Back is Jesus when Jesus is already here. I mean, reincarnation, like, I don't even know how that works, right? But but the truth is, people are talking about Jesus. They know Jesus is from God. They know he's important. But they don't really know who he is or what he's supposed to do or what's going on. But he's important, And then Jesus asks the question. 
Now, if you're new to Christianity and you're just kind of thinking about this and checking this out, you probably have about a million questions, right? Because there's a lot of questions we can ask. Why do bad things happen to good people? And why does famine happen? And why do children die? And, And there's a zillion questions we can ask. But after you get done asking all those questions, there is the question. What about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? That is the question. Who do you think Jesus is? Forget all those guys that have reincarnation stuck on their brain and John the Baptist came back to somebody who was alive when he was alive. I don't even know how that works. Forget that. Who do you say I am? That is the question. I imagine when Jesus asked this question, heaven falls silent. And the angels wait to see what the disciples are going to say. And Peter does something that he usually doesn't do at this stage of his life. He gets the answer right. (laughs) We give Peter a lot of grief for getting it wrong, but this time he got it right. And Simon Peter answered, says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now imagine saying that. You're standing in a circle with your friends, and like two and a half feet away from you is a guy who looks like you, who sounds like you, who's got the same skin tone you do, the same accent you have. He's rocking the same first century haircut and beard that you are. You both bought your sandals from the same guy. But you are the Son of God. Wow. That blows your mind. Right? I've never walked around with one of my friends and thought, he's the Son of God. Never happened. That's a pretty big thing to try and get your arms around. How do you even begin to understand that? Look what Jesus says. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Listen, dude, the only way you get this right is because God told you that. Right? And then Jesus says something that's, that's pretty crazy. And I tell you that you are Peter. Now remember, this guy's name is Simon. He's been called Simon his whole life. And Jesus says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, this is crazy, okay? First of all, he says, I tell you that you are Peter. Do you know what Peter means? No, Peter means stone. Okay? Peter, Petros, is a masculine noun. It probably means stone, a small rock that you can hold in your hand. Okay, a pebble that you'd find along the pathway. Okay, the other word he uses rock is Petra, the feminine noun, which means a massive connected rock, the rock of Gibraltar, Moro Bay rock, 
the cliffs, right? The, the big rock. You've heard of the city of Petra that's carved in the rocks, okay? That's the big rock. So if we go back to the verse, it says, And I tell you that your name is Stone. Nobody in the history of the world that we know of was ever named Stone before this moment. And the disciples got to be looking at him going, why did he name him Stone? That's a really weird name, man. Right? That's crazy. And on this rock, and he uses a different word, he says Petra, and on this big rock... I'm going to build my church. Well, what is the big rock? It's not Peter, because Peter's the little rock. I've heard people say that Peter is the cornerstone of our church. No, he's not. God doesn't build his church on Peter. God builds his church on the big, immovable rock that says, I am the son of the living God. That's the rock. That's the immovable truth that you can't get your arms around. You don't know what to do with it. You can't deny it. It is true. You can believe or not believe, but it is truth. And this is what I'm going to build my church on. I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to build my church on it. And Matthew, I'll go slow so you can write this down. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, the disciples got to be thinking, what is he talking about? He just named him Stone. He's talking about a rock. The word church didn't mean to them what it means to us. The word church in first century did not have a religious connotation. It meant the group of people that could vote. So when it was time to vote, you called together the church. And the people who were rich enough to vote came out to vote. And so Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. You're going to do what? And see, it's not based on a nationality. It's not based on a language. It's not based on a skin tone. It's not based on anything except it's my church. And I'm going to build it and nothing is going to overcome it. Now remember, this is 13 guys standing in a dusty town. He's the son of an unknown carpenter. They don't have any money. They don't own anything. There's no GoFundMe account. And Jesus says, I'm going to build this big church. And disciples got to be thinking, he's been out in the sun too long. What's he talking about? This is crazy talk. Right? I don't even understand what you're talking about, Jesus. But if we look back in history, this is exactly what happened. 2,000 years later, 2.2 billion, not million, but billion People alive today believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God. Now, out of 7.4 billion people on the planet, that's just about one-third. Biggest religion in the world. And 
the devil has tried to attack it every way it can, any way he can, right? We, the church has had every problem it could have. There's been bad leadership. There's been people who have used the scriptures for personal gain. Um, there's been the Inquisition, the Crusades, sexual scandals. It just every problem that you can imagine the church has had. And yet, it continues to grow. Why is that true? Because Jesus said that he was going to build his church and nothing would stand against it. And it's true. We have witnessed this come true. You know, and and if we put ourselves, we took all the Christians in the world and we, we put ourselves in a room we all have differences, right? We have different theology. We have different beliefs. We have different ways of baptizing, different ways of doing our worship service, different music, different, just everything is different. But if you could put all the Christians in one room, you know the one thing we have the same? We all believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God. That is the one thing that we all agree on. That is the cornerstone of the church. And that's what Jesus said he was going to do. He says, on this, I am going to build my church. This entire citizenship, this entire class, this entire group, whatever you want to call it, is built on that one thing. Now, when, when Jesus uses the word build here, that, that word has a connotation of, of wide. We're going to build it. And it's going to go wide. Not deep or tall, but wide. And it's happened. Right? It's happened. Every year the church gets bigger and wider and more people know. And we've got some areas where we don't have a big presence yet, but it's growing. And it continues to grow. And... You know, the devil's attacked it and everything has gone on. But it just doesn't quit. Communism tried to educate it out of people. Persecution tried to scare it out of people. Governments tried to legislate it out of people. But it just goes on and on. And the Son of God said, I'm going to build my church and nothing can stand against it. And you can believe or you cannot believe. And you can be a part or you cannot be a part. But the church is not going to be stopped until every tribe, every nation, and every tongue has heard. And we've watched it come true. We've watched it come true. Now... We've got an interesting bit of tension here. Because we've been talking about go fish. And we've got a bunch of Christians that are going, but I'm scared. I'm trying to fish, but it's scary, right? I don't want to go out. Jesus, scared. And on the other hand, we've got Jesus saying, I'm going to build my church and nothing's going to stand against it. So if Jesus is going to build his church, why do I got to go fishing? That's just way too much stress. See, fishing buddies, the church and us are supposed to partner up. The church is supposed to help you in your mission to fish. 
Now, some of you may have grown up in churches like me, and the church didn't always help, right? <laughs> I can tell by that. Some of you are going, yeah. <laughs> right? The church didn't always help. Because if you invited your friend to church, oh, no. That was a surefire way of making them not become a Christian, Right? You come to, you bring your friend to church, you be sitting there, and there'd be time for know, special music, and some family gets up to sing, and they're all wearing matching clothes, and they don't sing very well. And your friend's looking at them, like, yeah, I know they don't sing well, but boy, don't their outfits match. <laughs> right? Or that was the week that the evangelist came to town and he had this big, huge board and he was putting up felts and, and pictures of beasts and animals and talking about horns growing and, and your friends looking at him like, what is he talking about? And you just want to sink down and you just go, oh no. Right? The church didn't help us. Now, some people were good at fishing. You ever met somebody like this? They go into the grocery store. They come out with five new friends, and three of them are ready to be baptized. They get on a plane to go on a trip, and the guy sitting next to him says, I want to give my life to Jesus. He starts telling the story. Half the plane gets baptized. Right? And some of you just made it look crazy easy, and the rest of us are just crying because we didn't know what to do. It was too hard. And sometimes the church didn't seem like they helped. And, you know, I mean, I'm painting in extremes here. But you get what I'm saying, right? The church didn't always help. Sometimes you might be tempted to say, I love you too much to take you to my church. Let's go to my friend's church. You'll like it better. Right? That's not what you're supposed to have happen, right? Now, I learned something a long time ago. When I was youth leader, you know, way back in the 80s, I'm going to leave you to guess whether that's the 1880s or the 1980s, but, um, you know, a long time ago, I learned that you could make church comfortable, that you could make church a place where people wanted to be. We were doing the, uh, like I said, it was youth group, and uh, it was the 80s, so we watched music videos. So Friday nights, we'd have music videos, little food, and and kids would come to church voluntarily. They wanted to be here. Furthermore, they brought friends. Right? This was great. Because we just had a time of just hanging out, and talking and watching music videos, maybe a little discussion, a little bit of food. And, and they loved it. And I learned that you could make church a place where Christians come together and, and we love each other and we care about each other. And, and we make church comfortable. Because the Holy Spirit will make you uncomfortable about things you need to be uncomfortable about. I don't have to do that, Right? It's God's job to judge. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's Jesus' job to save. It's my job to love. Right? So I don't have to do that. So we can make church a comfortable place. And I remember that the church didn't always want to help in that. I remember there was one board meeting 
where somebody came loaded and they were ready. And it was like somebody pointed a double-barreled shotgun at me and I unloaded with both barrels. And they started talking about all the bad things that was going to happen. Do you know the kids are skateboarding in the parking lot? Uh, yeah. Best of my knowledge, skateboards don't hurt pavement at all. Do you know that they walk on the carpet? They're going to wear it out. Yeah, I haven't taught them how to hover yet. We'll get to that next quarter. Just, I mean, unloaded on me. And it caught everybody by such surprise, nobody said anything, not even the pastor at the time. And it seemed like it went on forever. It was probably maybe half hour, 45 minutes. And as you imagine, I went home pretty defeated that night because the church was not helping Some of the parents whose kids came to the group heard about it. And I don't know how they heard about it because I didn't tell anybody except Linda. And I don't think she told anybody, so I don't know. But they heard about it. And they started speaking up and saying, no, we like this. Our kids want to come to church. This is a good thing. Help us continue to do this. And pretty quickly the tide turned and things were different. One of the guys that attacked me that night apologized. We became good friends. But sometimes that's what's happened. The church has not helped us in our fishing mission, right? And if you went and told anybody in the church that they weren't helping in the fishing mission, they would be offended because that was not their intent. But that's what happened. And so we want to have a place where people can come and experience God. Okay? Turn with me like one chapter over. I think Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. Maybe a page over in your Bible or two. Matthew 18, verse 19 and 20. And look what Jesus tells his disciples. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything and ask for it, they will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. How many have to come together? Two or three. In whose name? Jesus' name, right? When you get together with some of your friends on official Jesus business and you leave the agendas at home, and you leave all that stuff behind, and the the, the greed, and the power grubbing, and whatever it is, you leave that all behind, and two or three people get together in in Jesus' name, official Jesus business, who's going to be there? Jesus. God will be there. You remember the old beer commercial a couple years ago. doesn't get any better than this. doesn't get any better than this. I don't know of anything this side of Jesus coming again that's better than this. When you get together with a couple of your friends and you're on official Jesus business and you put aside all of your agendas, God will be there, and it will be undeniably attractive. Remember when Philip tries to get Nathaniel to come see Jesus? And he says, Jesus, isn't he from Nazareth? What good comes out of Nazareth? 
just come and see. I can't explain it. I don't understand it. I, you just got to come check this out. And that's what Jesus told the disciples. Come and follow me. Come check this out. Come and see. And this is what we can say to our friends. You got to come see this, man. I, I'm not a scholar. I don't have all the answers. I can't tell you what all those words mean in Greek. And I, but, but you got to come check this out. Not because we have the best band or the best speaker or the biggest building or the whatever. It's not because we're great. It's because God is great. Right? And when people come and experience that, it 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 has an effect. It it softens rough edges. And it makes a difference. I love it when new people come and they're not even officially members yet, but they've been coming like, I want to help. How do I get involved? Because they get it. They understand. I love it when we do our small groups and people ask me, can I invite my friend who's not a Christian? Yes. Always yes. This is why we do all these things of parking lot parties and movie nights and stuff. Because every month I want to have an event that you can invite a friend to. Because if I can get them off Lakewood Boulevard and into our parking lot, it's over, Rover. <laughs> they will experience something that is undeniable. Because when two or three are gathered on official Jesus business, God shows up. Real quick, that means I need your help a lot of times. We need people working in children's Sabbath school divisions so that when people bring their kids, they find adults that love their kids nearly as much as they do. We need people running the sound and, and doing lights and playing and singing in the band and, and greeters to greet people and just on and on and all those things that we need. And it's not because... We're just turning knobs or playing music or saying words. It's because we want to create an environment where people experience God, where people experience love, where people experience acceptance. Not that everything you're doing is okay in your life, but that you're loved anyway. And that will be undeniable. And so we need your help. And we need the person preaching to get done on time. So, you've heard me say this before. The main thing is the main thing. We've got to keep the main thing the main thing, right? The main thing is that we experience God. And so we need your help to do that. So I'm going to ask you two things I need your help with. Number one, I need you to invest in your friends and invite them. Okay? You've got to invest and invite. Now, you may have friends at work that are kind of more like acquaintances, right? Hey, Joe. And that's, that's all you know about Joe. Is Joe married? I have no idea. Right? That's just Joe. Okay? 
you haven't invested a whole lot in Joe if that's all you know about him is his first name. Okay? So we need to invest in our friends and then we can be ready to invite them. The second thing is, I need your help here with serving. Are you serving? That doesn't have to be something up front. It might be the people who are helping keep the building clean or helping pick up afterwards or helping with maintenance or helping fold bulletins or whatever behind-the-scenes stuff goes on. Because we need people that are on official Jesus business. Get my drift? See, because if we all just decided to come here because it's tradition on Saturday morning, we go to church and we'll just go, then we're not on official Jesus business anymore. Then who doesn't show up? God. So we need people that are on official Jesus business. Amen? Because I want God to be here too. So that's going to be your challenge this week. You can see it coming already afterwards. Are you investing and inviting and are you serving so that you can be on official Jesus business? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to be on official Jesus business all the time, Lord. Give us the courage to add to our prayer that we want to speak boldly about Jesus so we are willing to invest in our friends and invite them to hear. Lord, it's, it's, uh, it's a challenge. It can be scary. But you can help us overcome those fears. You can give us the courage. You can give us the words of what to say. You can let us know when it is the right time, Lord. Secondly, Lord, help us to serve so that when people come here, they do experience love and acceptance and the mercy that you provide, Lord. We ask that you be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been blessed by this message from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. You can find more messages at www.downeychurch.org. God bless.